there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose, and I'm joined by Clint Broadman. Hello there. And Jonathan Baker. Hey, everybody. And we also have a very special guest joining us tonight. We have Angie Hickman Noonham. Angie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you coming on our podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. For people who aren't familiar, you are the co-designer of an upcoming board game called Storm Hollow. Yes. So give us the the pitch for what Storm Hollow is all about. Okay, so Storm Hollow is a storytelling adventure game for two to seven players uh, that plays in about an hour. It's set in the world where all the stories happened. So where Jack went up the beanstalk, Alice went down the rabbit hole, your favorite fantasy uh, stories took place. It's kind of the the general premise. It's connected vicariously to our, or it's connected to our world through this uh, concept of belief. And the premise is you play as a a pop-in hero that pops into Storm Hollow to save the day. It's got a a three-scene structure, just like most stories have kind of a three-beat. There's a, the invitation, the journey, and the big finish. So it's it's kind of a hybrid between a, a role-playing game and a board game um, that really focuses on the storytelling, but it has a lot of uh, mechanics that back that up. So you just jump right in, use a lot of creativity and imagination to uh, experience these epic quests, I guess, in a, in a short amount of time because we, we're big gamers and uh, don't have time anymore to sit down for eight to ten hours of big parent gamers <laughs> big parents yes yeah we were just talking about the our desire to play an rpg just the, the commitment to getting involved in that and being able to follow out and get involved in this epic quest and going on these grand adventures and it's just it's really tough to be able to find the time to be able to do that right that's kind of where this was born from me and julian started working on this when our daughters he has a couple of kids and i do too and our respective daughters were five years old when we started working on this. And we wanted a game that we could play with them that was more engaging than a lot of games for five-year-olds, <laughs> Candyland and the like. Um, we were big gamers. We'd been playing role-playing games and board games together since college. We wanted something that was engaging for us, but that would be, that would kind of capture that sense of wonder and imagination uh, that we had when we were playing role-playing games and, and kind of growing up in gaming. And so we were, we were wondering if there was a way to fuse those, those goals together um, and put something into where you could, you could do it in a reasonable amount of time because, you know, an hour is basically everyone's <laughs> attention span. It seems like, you know, if that sometimes <laughs> kids. It's, it's a good, it's a good mix. So we were, we really spent a lot of time trying to figure out if you could distill the most essential elements of a story into an hour and find a way to have all the imaginative aspects, all the fun, crunchy rules bits, and and still feel like you you did something epic in that amount of time. So that's sort of how we we got to that. Uh, and then we spent uh, the the last few years yes. working on designing <laughs> and developing that. So yeah, it was it was back in 2012 when you did the Kickstarter. Yeah, we'd been working on it for a while before oh, that. I, could, but that's oh, when I could definitely tell you guys have been working on it quite some time <laughs> before that. Uh, yeah. Jonathan is actually, he is notorious for pointing me in the direction of these great Kickstarters, and then he doesn't back them and I do. So <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I definitely, when I saw, I was, the, the Kickstarter was originally called Story Realms. 
Yes. And then you had to change the name, unfortunately. Yes. I, I think that that might have been a blessing in disguise. I was going to say, I like Storm Hollow better. It was very devastating for us at the time. I do like Storm Hollow quite a bit as well, because that's, that's the name of the world in which you're taking place. Take, take, the game is taking place in, correct? Yeah. So it's it's the full name is Storm Hollow, a storyboard game. Mm-hmm. Story Realms was kind of our idea that, that Storm Hollow could be the first world if we wanted to do other settings. Mm-hmm. So when we switched the name over, we went to Storm Hollow, a storyboard game, so that if we wanted to do those other settings, we could still have that same concept of a storyboard game in other worlds. That's awesome. So when when you mention storyboard, because the the title, it's actually written out as storyboard, one word. What was your idea behind using that particular term? Well, um, so in the game, you actually do storyboard out your adventures. We have these art cards. They're like three by five art cards, kind of like Dixit cards, mm-hmm. and they just have the art on them. And they show the scenes of the adventure that I was, those three beats I was talking about, the invitation, the journey, and the big finish. And they show the art of what's happening in those adventures. So they're super visual. And you put them onto the game board as the adventure unfolds. And it kind of makes a a storyboard like you'd have if you were writing out a, a movie or a book or something. It makes a visual storyboard experience. And our our art director, Dan May, actually illustrated into the, the game board. It has a big map of the world on it, but down at the bottom, it has kind of a, a rising mountain peaks, which follows the idea of like a or the rising action in a story. Nice. So you put the cards down rising up as it goes from the, the invitation up to the big finish. And so you put the cards down and it sort of forms this this storyboard. So we like that idea of a storyboard. And then also the idea that it's a story game and it's also a board game. And so we just really ran with that idea that it was a storyboard game. Yeah, and that's what's re- what really appealed to me because I, I've always been really interested in storytelling and in creativity and just kind of in my academic career and whatnot. And that's what really appealed to me. And you guys even came up with a curriculum guide, I think, as part of the Kickstarter campaign and all that. So I just really like the idea of how this could really be a great tool for getting kids to engage in storytelling and using their creativity and imagination to engage in this very unique world that you and Julian have created. That's the hope. Um, I think we could, I mean, our hope is actually not just kids, but adults too. We've been, we've been playing it a lot at conventions where there's, there's really not that many kids there. So we play it with a lot of adults more than anything. And what we hear from a lot of people is that they've have interest in RPGs, but they're not really sure how to get into it. Right. Like board gamers who have like like the idea of it, but they don't really know. So they've played maybe Pathfinder Adventure card game and they think that that's really cool or Mice and Mystics. And they think that that's really cool, but they're not really sure how to make that leap into the the idea of a more story driven game. And uh, and our game has a lot of structure, but also has a lot of creativity and freeform to it. Um, So we really, really worked hard on trying to create all the tools and the structure and support for guiding both storytellers and players into this concept of really engaging in in uh, creative collaborative storytelling. And it's uh, really difficult to explain to people. I think once the game's out, people will see <laughs> really how, how detailed those tools are. But those, like the art cards I was talking about on the back of each of those, they have story prompt questions and then ideas of different things, that, different ways that the cards can be used. So even though they're used in one adventure, there's uh, two different questions of, of that can prompt ideas, and then there's at least 
eight different ideas of that we've put on there of ways that you could spark new stories off of them. And then each one has like a lore bit, a bit about the world or a bit about the card that gives you some more ideas you could spark off of. So, and there's hundreds of those in the, the big treasury box that we're doing. So there's just, we really try to focus on, on providing all these tools and structure for kids, for adults, for gamers, for people who are more familiar with gaming to give them everything that they might need to really just dive into a world. And then for people who just haven't done it before, as uh, we kind of jokingly call it level one handholding, mm-hmm. where we're like, okay, let's, let's take a really easy step into this. If you've never been a storyteller before, what do you need to do to, you know, dip your toe in? And then once you're comfortable with that, what's the very next tiny baby step towards, you know, creating your own adventures and then eventually creating your own world? That's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that because I definitely wanted to overcome the perception that this game is not just—it's not just for kids. It is for adults. It really has something to offer for gamers and non-gamers alike. I feel. Hey, Angie, I had a question for you. Storm Hollow is so cool. I love that story. <laughs> that story thing. I mean, my daughters are are watching a cartoon that just barely came out on Disney junior that has kind of that same kid like thing of like, there are, there's the, there's the three bears and there's Goldilocks and they're, you know, they're friends. And I don't know what it is, but there's some magic about that idea of like the, this world of fairy tales. Where did, where was the genesis of that idea or that setting? Cause it kind of seems like the, like the mechanisms could fit into many different worlds. Why, what made you choose Storm Hollow or the storybook, the storybook beginning? Well, um, we started talking about what things when we were deciding on the setting that we wanted to use for this, this, we started riffing off of what made us have the most sense of wonder growing up. Um, like what gave us that, that feeling of, exploration and wonder and discovery when we were kids because both julian and i have been playing role-playing games since we were really young i started running i started playing dungeons and dragons when i was five years old and i was a dm by the time i was 10 or 11 i think and i was running groups in my middle school and high school and i think julian started dming i think he got a dm guide when he was 10 or 11 years old as well and he was doing the same thing and so we both had this very early and childhood experience of just like these worlds of wonder. And we started talking about it. And the thing that we kept coming back to was storytelling, that the thing that sparked our imagination, our love of fantasy, our love of of these things was all the way back to our childhood, to people in our lives, my grandfather, Julian's father, the people who told us these stories growing up of, of fantastic folklore and fairy tales we both come from families full of story of great storytellers and we talked about what is it what does it mean to be a good storyteller and what characteristics are d- done through that and we looked into like world folklore and, and we started looking at there's the, these resonant themes that appear throughout folklore across the world and we um basically just started working into this setting that was kind of you know the world where all the stories happened we like this idea that that you could have this fantasy world that was inspired richly from from the folklore and fairy tales and the best stories that we had heard and and we sort of incorporated um started incorporating classic literature into that because those are some of the great stories and then we just it just we just started enfolding everything that we could think of we were like oh well you know, we love this this kind of modern take on storytelling too. So we added some modern high fantasy stuff in it, and it's it's sort of ended up being this hodgepodge world of 
everything from classic folklore, you know, to modern high fantasy and steampunk elements all blended together. And that might sound like it doesn't work, but we think that we found a good a good mix, which is and you know tied together with this concept of belief that if you believe in it with all your heart that it exists you know that it's it's the world that parallels our own that they're connected and we we kind of wrote a lot in the books about how our world and storm hollow are connected that it's just it that it exists because of the belief of of people in our world that that choose to spend their their fantasy time thinking about about these wondrous things or sharing these stories and that that all of these things exist in the space where they're told and shared with other people. That's that's really awesome. I just I just love the kind of the origin of it, and how it all kind of blends together. Um, Angie, uh, just for some clarification for me. So when you're playing this game, your character is a person from our world who ends up in Storm Hollow. Yeah, we call him a pop in. Okay. Um, so you pop in. So you play as a heroic version of yourself, brought to Storm Hollow in a time of need. To it, it's kind of based off of the very classic trope you see in a lot of stories, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the Alice in Wonderland, just all these stories where someone shows up right in the nick of time to save the day. That's kind of the the trope that we ended up going with. We originally had all these other ideas of playing from as characters from Storm Hollow, but what we found is that when we boiled it down to the most essential experience of what we wanted to do, and also the goal of making it accessible for people who hadn't role-played before, that it was really easier for people to imagine themselves as themselves in a world of wonder, rather than trying to, as that first baby step into it, imagine themselves as someone else, you know, so you could you could just get swept away in in the setting and not have to try to worry about who you are. You just had to think about how you would react. So... So as like the character creation process or whatever, like how do you decide, you know, what character would match who you are and, and, and how does that work, that process work? There's three basic choices that you make. We try to make that as simple as possible and it happens during the course of gameplay on your first adventure. Ah. So you sit down at the table and you don't have to know anything. We have what we call an opening scene um, where you're swept away to Storm Hollow. Like we're playing at the convention, we usually come up with some narrative where you're walking through the convention hall and, you know, you walk through a strange door or a lot of our, our pre-made adventures have some kind of hook. You find a music box in an attic or some sort of story where, where you're swept away into this magical world. And then early on, because we want to get you hooked into the story, right? So instead of sitting there and being like, this is how you play the game and here's all the rules, we instead give you this this little bit of narrative of, of what happens, where you are, and what's what's going on. And then um, early on, some character from the world will will kind of, the, the storyteller will present themselves as the character from the world and say, hey, this is, this is what's happening, this is our problem. And then explain, at that point, you kind of break into, you know, these are the types of heroes in the world. What kind of hero do you feel like you are? And you lay out the hero boards and then we've got Lightbringer and Storm Chaser and Whizbanger and Spark Color. These are some fun heroic types and, and each player picks one. There's six different ones and everybody picks a unique one. And then they, you know, they'll say each and every hero has their own unique talent. What do you feel like your talent is? And the talents are things like helpful, protective, flashy. So you pick a talent. Um, 
and that's the second choice you have that makes your character. Those two choices together combine to give you like your starting piece of gear. So if you were the protective light bringer, you'd start with a, a special shield that helps you protect other people. And there's like 36 different possible permutations there. So everyone has like a unique special piece of gear that they start off with. And then they, the other choice that you make is they say, okay, and you know, obviously you've brought some stuff along with you. What do you, what do you have? And then we put out these uh, kit cards and they're basically just pictures of like a backpack that has a bunch of stuff in it and they are thematically tied together. So there's like a, a mischief kit and a wanderer kit, a wizard's kit, and they have a fancy pants kit and they have various different items in them. And you look at the pictures of those and pick one of them. And that goes in, slots in on your character sheet. And it shows you what kind of gear you're carrying around with you. And those three choices makes up the character you're playing. And it happens really quickly. And as you make those choices, like as you decide to be the Lightbringer, the storyteller will say, okay, you're the Lightbringer. So you have these two powers that come with that character. This is how they work. And then as you, and that kind of explains the game rules. And then when you get your artifacts, you know, your your special gear, they say, oh, and this is how an artifact works. And then when you get your equipment, they say, and this is how your equipment works. You can use it to do whatever you want. And when you, and you know, it has two pockets on it and you can make grab rolls. And so the game rules are kind of explained as you are in, through this, the course of this, uh, this first scene, which is the invitation. We call it like the invitation because it's an invitation to adventure. And that's where you, you sort of make your character right there. That's awesome. And all the game rules are explained during during that first few minutes of, of gameplay, but it's it's kind of done in a story manner so that you you don't have to sit there and listen through game rules. And it works really well for people, especially, I don't know, we have a lot of friends that you start, you get out of game and they you start to explain it. I have one friend who will actually walk away while we're explaining game rules and then they come back to the table and be like, okay, so how do we play? <laughs> we just did that. <laughs> but it's nice to have a game where you're, you know, where you just start playing, start going and and people are, usually very, very enraptured by the point that they get their character ready to go. They, they know exactly what it is that they're, that they can do. Yeah. I, I think you got Jonathan very excited about the fancy pants kit. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's actually one of the ones that gets picked a lot and it has an item in it called delicious pie. And this is a funny but true story. Every single time that someone plays with the fancy pants kit that I've ever seen, the delicious pie gets used in a clever and creative way every single time. I've never seen someone not use delicious pie for something. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, I've seen plenty of items in the kits not get used during an adventure, but I've never, ever seen an advent like an adventure go by without the delicious pie getting used for something. So that's one of the things that I really liked about the character creation is you get to choose a talent and you get rewarded for using those talents as you play the game. There's a special talent die that you get to roll whenever you use your talents. Is that right? Yeah. So again, with the wanting to kind of teach people how to role play and to mechanically incentivize and reward role playing, the talent die is is kind of the the crux of that so you you choose how you want to role play your character at the beginning what kind of character you want to be if you want to be helpful or protective and then whenever you take an action that is protective or helpful or flashy or wild uh, you get to roll your talent die which is just an extra die added to your rolls and that die has a better chance of success and on top of that it also has your talent symbol on it and when you roll that symbol 
you get what's called a boost. And your boost can be used to fuel your special powers. So it has this feedback loop of whenever you play your character the way that you said you wanted to play your character at the beginning, then you get a chance, you, you have more chances to be rewarded for, you like have a better chance of success in your actions and you get these boosts and you get to activate your special powers. And so it has this, uh, this strong incentive and reward uh, mechanism for, for doing that. And it's worked really well in kind of helping people focus in on on the characteristics that they say they want to want to try so yeah and one thing i want to point out is that there is a massive amount of content that you guys are cramming into this game <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that, that, that is an un, that is an understatement yeah. that's uh that's an understatement there's uh so we're doing right now what we're what we've got is this kind of this big giant bundle it's called the the storm hollow treasury and in that bundle there's five hardcover books and a softcover book um holy that, cow yeah that I has i told you it's pretty awesome the store had, hall library or something. <laughs> yeah it has uh in it that's 17 adventures 17 pre-made adventures there's i can't remember how many cards it's something hundreds it's over over 600 cards wow um total uh, some of those, a couple hundred of them are the art cards that I was talking about, the, the scene cards. There's the art of, there's about, I think there's 96 of the artifacts, 96 of the power cards, which are additional powers you can use to upgrade your character. Those are kind of fun. The, the way that those work is that when you, there are rewards for adventures. So during adventures, you find what's called orbs. And uh, when a, a party will find an orb, like a group of players finds an orb, um, we used a lot of inspiration from video games too, trying to use mechanics that were really intuitive in that way. But one of the adventure rewards is, is finding an orb. And so we wanted to have simple choices to uh, expand your character. And so if you find an orb, like the winter orbs uh, is one example. And if you're a protective light bringer, then you get a choice of the protective winter power or the light bringer winter power. And so you have these two different powers you can choose from and you choose that. And that goes into like your character pile or whatever that you can use to equip on each adventure that you play. So you have, so we have a bunch of different orbs that you can do. We have like a, a fire orb, a winter orb, a fairy orb, a music orb. There's, there's a whole stack of those. And each of those are like 12 different cards because there's the choice for each hero and each talent type. Um, and those are all unique powers. So there's a lot of different variations of the way you can put your characters together. And then there's, so there's the powers, there's the artifacts. We have these, there's the two main game, there's two game boards for the game. There's the World of Storm Hollow. Um, and then there's a, another game board that's the City of Venture, which is, we call it the City of Innovation and Wonder. And that's the setting for, we have, uh, the main game has the Poppins Guide to, to Storm Hollow in it, which is a, uh, a big book that talks about the world of Storm Hollow, kind of just a storybook way that explains the world and stories and very art heavy, lots of stories, lots of explanation of the core concepts of the game. Um, and then we have the Poppins Guide to Venture, which goes with the Venture Game Board, and it sort of does the same thing. It's like a big gazetteer. We kind of wrote it like a travel guide, actually. So it talks about all the, the locations of the city and tells stories of different characters. We have stories of Hercules and the fairy godmother and all these different characters in there, sort of uh, Rosie the Riveter, just different people that we we had fun writing these stories of their the, uh, Nikola Tesla, the way that they influenced real life people, fairy tale characters, the way that they influenced the development of the city of innovation and wonder. 
and there's a whole game board for that and so there's a book that goes with that and then there's a there's a deck of cards for each of those game boards that takes every location in them I think there's 69 and 70 locations on the boards. We have a deck of cards that expands on that. Um, the one for the main game board has the their journal pages from a an explorer. And it's kind of his notes of the, the things that he observed in those places. And it has these special game rules that can be activated in those places. So there, it's another way, that, just another layer that you can add on to it. And then in the City Adventure, they have what's called Rumor and Resources cards that has like a job board posting like you'd see in a video game where someone's standing there with, hey, help me with this this problem I have. And then there's rumors on the back that you can use as story hooks for each each location in the game. And then there's also like a resource list, which is kind of like a little mini adventuring kit. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of those cards. <laughs> so it's just all this content. And then we also made, because we really just went, just kept going with it. We, made <laughs> we can't um, stop. We just can't stop. <laughs> we made a cooperative board game. So there's a cooperative board game that uses a lot of these components I've been talking about. So, oh, there's 30, 31 custom dice and 49 of these like gems, these plastic gems and six custom meeples in the set. And so it uses all those pieces plus these art cards um, and the game board and then these new cards that we made, these uh, hero cards of famous poppins from the past, like Alice and John Henry and Tatterhood and Nikola Tesla and some of these characters that are in these stories. You can play as them in this cooperative board game that's sort of based, uh, it's just sort of the same type of game as something like Pandemic or Forbidden Island or something where you play against the against the the board cooperatively to try to close all the dark doors that have opened across Storm Hollow before the enemies take over. So that's included in the, the thing. We, so we designed and developed that over a period of a couple of years. That was really fun. Wow. And then during the Kickstarter, I know you had, you, you had add-ons. You, could, you had coloring book pages and postcards, and you guys went crazy with this. Yeah. So, yeah, that's also all in the treasury, too. There's a coloring book. There's a, a poster map there's bookmarks there's postcards there's extra dice there's yeah there's all that stuff yeah, my, my favorite thing was the the create a kit stickers you get to get oh, a yeah, yeah. pack and you get to put the stickers on there <laughs> it's hard for me to remember everything that's, that's there. there's the yeah the create a kit sticker kit so you take um to make your own sticker um you, to make your own kit cards you use these stickers and kind of stick them on and then that way you can customize your own adventuring kits. And we actually use the stickers for a couple of other things that we haven't talked about yet, but you'll f- there's some surprises in the book. I that- like surprises. Yeah. We haven't talked about any of those. Like, you guys just got the inside first scoop that there's some other things that stickers are used for in the game. There um, we go. I know, right? It's a legacy game. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Oops, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> but yeah, there well we do have this this campaign in one of those five hardcover books I mentioned is a ten chapter epic campaign. So it's it's like the one attempt we made at making a campaign and it's 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 ten linked adventures that play out. It's called Pieces of a Broken World. And it's got over the course of ten adventures, so it's ten play sessions if you play through it. 
and there's it's got a, a up front it's got a big extensive campaign guide that goes through a dossier of all the characters that are relevant in it all the enemies it talks about how to how to do it like if you've never ran a campaign before it gives a lot of like advice on how to do it it talks about the themes the purpose of each adventure like why each adventure is included in it what's what's the point how it fits into the bigger story it talks about ways to cut out some adventures if you want to play a shorter campaign or where you could add in more adventures of your own if you want to add to it it talks about uh, ways to expand on certain adventures like places you could add in more content if you want to add more time so it has this whole huge campaign introduction and then it has these 10 adventures and then throughout the throughout the course of this campaign your characters will get all these rewards and uh, upgrades and stuff and also just ex discover these various this unfold this this story of of storm hollow and kind of change the face of storm hollow throughout this story and kind of make it make their mark on the world as it were i, I think you're overwhelming jonathan over here with the amount of stuff that's in this game it's amazing it's truly I amazing think, i think that people will be a little overwhelmed and a lot surprised like i i think no matter how many times i say what's in the box i think i'm people are still going to be a little surprised when they open it up because i just i don't think that i am adequately conveying how much content is in there our our game is late and i think that that's something that everyone knows at this point that it's really late you know you said earlier on the podcast that we ran our kickstarter in 2012 and it's now 2016 and the game is um close to going to print which we're really excited about we're doing this this pre-order right now for the last people that want to get in on it like one last chance to get on this big bundle and then that's um, and that's going to close as soon as it's as soon as the last bits of things are ready to go to print, and then that's going to be the big limited edition thing that the Kickstarter backers get and anyone who pre-orders it. And I think that that is kind of the ultimate Storm Hollow experience. But it took us it took us a long time to get all that content done. We had some of it, we had a lot of it ready when the Kickstarter launched, but we had no idea how things would unfold how much additional content would be need to be created after the Kickstarter for various reasons, the stretch goals, the way that the stuff got split up, the things that got added. There's just a lot of things added into it. And so it just, it took us a long time. Well, I <laughs> think get. that, you know, just jumping in, one of the things that surprised me, I think one of the things that I, I like what you did is that you didn't rush to get it out the door, you know? And it sounds to me that you're, you've taken your time, but you've taken your time to do it right. And I think that's the real, I think that's why uh, when Sean was talking to me about it, I know that Sean is, you know, Sean wants the game, but he's definitely felt, I know that he's mentioned that you guys have kept everybody in the loop and you've, you know, you've, you've made it better with the time that you've had, you know, you didn't put out a bad product. We've really tried. That was something that we were unwilling to do is compromise the quality of the product um, in order to shorten the time span because we made, you know, a promise to our backers that we were going to create this product and we had this vision and we really wanted to stick to that. And we are, it's been a really stressful thing for us to have the timeline not go the way that we wanted it to. That's been the biggest thing about the project that was the most challenging thing is that we we wish it could have been delivered sooner. But our our redemption, we hope, is in that when people get the game, we hope that it, 
they're going to feel like it was worth the wait. And that's being the backer here of, of the game. I can, I, I, I can see that this is, a, this is a work of passion. You guys have put your heart and soul into this. And I, I see that this can, is going to be something special. It, it may not be for everyone, but I think that this game does something unique and it creates, it fully flushes out a world, and I'm just so excited. And it really hasn't bothered me that I've had to wait as long because I know you guys have been putting so much of yourselves into this thing. Well, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I know this thing became bigger than you probably than you first thought, thought it was going to become because um, of all the new content you were creating and all that. But I mean, even at one point, you, you offered refunds to backers because of the delay. Did you have, yeah, did you have yeah, any game, people take up pick you up on that? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not. We don't have any of them. We don't have and never have had any of the money or handled any of that aspect of it. Game Salute, our publisher, has done all that. So I'm not really sure on numbers. But I was told that not very many people did. No, uh, it was offered the full refund to anybody who wanted it, just because it took. You know, the delays were taking a long time, and that if anyone wanted it, that they could get their money back but um i was told that it wasn't very many that a few people did but not very many yeah so that's why i um, I think there'd be a handful of people that would just get impatient but i think if you're going to back a project like this and you see all the stuff that's being put in there you got to have some patience um but i think what clint said keeping everyone in the loop letting letting the backers know that you guys haven't taken the money and run off to Tijuana or something like that. Um, right. it's, it's just, it's refreshing to have a campaign that keeps you in the loop and lets you know that there is progress being made. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting too what's happened with Kickstarter. I mean, when we did this was in 2012, there wasn't all the Kickstarters that there are now, right? So there hadn't been that many big board game Kickstarters at the time. And ours was one of the the higher grossing board game Kickstarters that happened um, when this this happened. So we got pretty swept away in the stretch goals. And I'm I'm going to be one of the first people to admit that that there were some mistakes made on how that all went down. I mean, now that we've had to sit there and, and work at it for so long, I'm happy. I'm really happy and really proud of all the content that we've created. But it's it's certainly been you know, I would do things differently if we had it to do over again. But I feel like our Kickstarter was one that was done really in the spirit of Kickstarter mm-hmm. as opposed to like a pre-order. Like what we're doing now is a pre-order. We have a finished product. It's just getting the last bit of layout and proofreading done. And we're selling a complete finished product that's about to go to print. And that's that's a pre-order. We're not running a Kickstarter for it right now, but we are running a pre-order through, through Game Salute's website. Um, and people can get the bundle, and and it costs more than it did during the Kickstarter, of course, because it's you know our Kickstarter backers have had to wait for years to get the and without a a guarantee that of what exactly it was that they were even getting at the time. Um, but during when we were running the Kickstarter, it was this idea of like, hey, this is a dream. This is our goal. This is what we want to create, and we want to make something amazing. And this is, you know, we're willing to pour our heart and soul into it. And we couldn't have, we literally couldn't have done it without our backers believing in us. And that's what we just keep going back to. And that's one of the reasons that we were able to just buckle down and keep working on it for years, actual years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that you've been working so hard on this because I, I really look forward to 
getting it in my hands at some point. How much is the pre-order at this point? It's $145, I think, plus shipping. I'm not sh- It depends on where you live on what the shipping is. It's going to be a pretty massive box, so I don't expect that that's um, going to be inexpensive anywhere. But So it's $145, and that contains everything that, that was made for the game, which... The like the pre-order flyer says well over a two hundred dollar value, but I think that that's drastically understating what it would be if all of this was was broken into retail products and what it would sell for. Because we've looked at a lot of different retail options, and I think that this would be at least four different big box products, wow. at least, yeah. if not. And the and the base one would be a huge one, like a big expensive game probably along the size of like Mice and Mystics or um, Mouse Guard or something along those lines. I, I'm not really in the pricing department, but I know that it would be, you know, um, that's one of the, the issues that we're having right now actually is that the game is so large and that the content is so interconnected that we're not entirely sure what the retail strategy is or how to get it to retail because it's very expensive to print and very difficult to figure out a viable retail strategy so for at this time the actual you know the pre-order bundle is the (laughs) is the only way to guarantee we get the game right now where you know there's no definite retail plan at this time but we're of course hoping that that's going to be sorted out once once we get this done Our, our main priority of course is getting it to the kickstarter backers and making sure that they and and a pre-order people and making sure that you know People get a chance to finally play the game. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the that's the thing is that when you first started out, you, you were actually going to have it broken up into kind of the the core box, and you're going to have the expansion box, the pieces of a broken world. And now it's really for the pre-order. You're getting that and everything else kind of thrown in in that one package. So it it really is a, a great value for what you're getting in there. I know that 145 dollars is kind of uh, might be some sticker shock at face value, just kind of looking at oh my gosh, why would I spend that much for a game but again you've got to really take into mind what all you're getting and you're not just getting the game but you're also getting kind of a system to be able to create your own stories as well as you play yeah we really tried to make it where you could just make infinite amounts of stories from the the game i think if someone were to pick up the storm hollow treasury that you would have enough content to play the game forever and ever and ever without ever feeling like you needed another expansion ever maybe that's bad salesmanship (laughs) but i can't really imagine that you'd ever need anything else i mean maybe you'd want it and maybe we'll come up with something cool if it does well at some point somewhere but i feel like it's and we have some ideas of what we'd like to do in the future um but we the core system is there and we we pulled back the curtain in we call it the preludes adventure book it has the five introductory adventures that are kind of this is how you run an adventure and it has a bunch of so there there's a kind of a step-by-step process for for storytellers too so here's five pre-made adventures that you can jump into and run they don't link together anything they're just what we call preludes they're kind of a first introduction into storm hollow they're standalone adventures so you grab one of those and you run it it tells you step by step exactly what to do how to do it you know as a from a storyteller's point of view um and then after that in that same book we have uh what we call scenes to go and there are these cards that don't have any adventures that are linked to them they're just these art cards and then we have these um templates 
So we have invitation and journey and big finish templates that link to these cards. And you can you can actually just mix and match. You can just take three cards and put them together in an adventure and be like, okay, here's my adventure. All I have to do is tie them together in a story, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or you can take one that you really like. We have one that's all about mixing these. We have this one that shows a fairy mixing some potions, you know, and it has this whole cool mechanics about making potions mixing potions together it's kind of a puzzle mechanic about mixing these potions together and you could be like oh i really like this one and you could create a story around that and figure out what the introduction and the the big finish of that is and so um you can kind of just build around it and then after that after you're comfortable with the mix and match and the 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 different parts of of that step then we've got the next section of the book is all the templates which is from start to finish how we created every mechanic in the game so we actually go through and say this is the template for all these different types of big finishes that we do so we have race scenes chase scenes uh, puzzles boss fights negotiations we have eight different kinds of templates and we say this is how we mechanically structured them this is how this is what we did we pull back the curtain on all of those mechanics and we say you know this is how you can make your own this is what you can where you can slot in you know your ideas this is how we do magic bursts this is how we do reveals these are the rule shifts and we basically just gave you everything that we did step by step so you can make your own from scratch that's and awesome. Yeah. I know that probably sounds really overwhelming, but it's just kind of a process <laughs> from the beginning <laughs> to the end. And we have a big giant book that one book that's just called the adventure book. That's like, here's how to make adventures starting from read one, just grab a book and read it to you can sit there and craft it using this system with all the tools and stuff that you would ever need. We hope. Very cool. So essentially the storyteller is kind of taking on the role kind of of, of the dungeon master to a certain extent. Yeah. Very cool. So one thing that you mentioned way earlier was you mentioned that the game has structure. And I think for me, that is one of the core things about this game that I'm excited about because I've played a lot of storytelling games that just kind of says, you know, here's a loose basis of rules and go crazy and you can do whatever you want. And the lack of structure, it ju- the wheels come off whenever we play those games. Have have you played many other any any other board games that have kind of, or card games that have kind of been storytelling in nature like this or what have your experiences been like? I'm just kind of curious because mine have been kind of a mixed bag, honestly. Yes, and I'm generally I mean there's some ex- exceptions, but I'm generally not that much of a fan. I would either rather play a board game with a lot of structure or I'd rather just play a role playing game usually. Yeah. Which is, sounds awful because here I am trying to tell you guys all about my storytelling board game. <laughs> um, but exactly what you said is that the the wheels sort of come off and everything just divulges into, I don't even know good words to put together what I'm trying to say, except that um, there's just not a lot of guidance in what you're supposed to do. Right. And I, I feel like when I'm playing a game, I don't really want to sit there and flounder with what I'm supposed to do. And I feel like that's even a problem in some role-playing games because if the the game master or the dungeon master doesn't know entirely how to, to keep the story moving along, you can sit there a lot and just flounder without 
entirely knowing what to do or or how to keep it going. So it's something we really tried to work on is how to how do you bolt a story to mechanics and how do those mechanics serve the story and keep it moving towards the finish mm-hmm. and how does all of that create an epic feel. And so we have you know, the three different parts. The invitation is sort of just storytelling. It kind of says this is the problem. It has these four questions that has to be answered. You know, what's at stake? How can I help? This kind of has these four different questions that have answered every time. The, the, the journey has a series of tasks that need to be completed. And each of those tasks can be really open-ended. It can be like explore this area, find this thing. Um, and those tasks are, are really sh- can be really short or they can be really elaborate depending on the group and how in-depth they want to get at it. But it can be a matter of like deciding to make a skill roll and rolling a few dice and adding it up and somebody finds something and then they, you know, they've solved that, that problem. Or it can be much more in-depth than that, like negotiating with someone or figuring it out. But that's kind of the, the bulk of the adventure there is, is accomplishing the tasks. And then we have the big, and that leads up to the big finish. And then the big finish has, we have very, that's where the mechanics really, and you're kind of, we're kind of easing you into the mechanics too. So there's not really much mechanics in the first part of the game. And then the middle part of the game, you're just making your skill rolls and you're using your, your powers a little bit and you're learning how to make, you know, how to do things creatively with your kit items and stuff. And then in the big finish, it gets very mechanical because that's the part where we don't want the story to flounder. We want it to end on a high note. We want it to feel epic, but we want it to keep moving. We don't want you to sit there and languish. I don't know if any of you played role-playing games where you play combat for eight hours or (laughs) you do something. I mean, like I've actually played a combat scene that took no joke, seven and a half hours or something just to accomplish one combat because things, you know, everyone had to move this and roll these dice and do this and check their abilities here. And it was just, it was so tedious and awful. I mean, epic i mean awful (laughs) (laughs) epic awfulness (laughs) so so what we really distilled it down to the idea that in every conflict and and not all of our most of our adventures are not fights either the end scene isn't a fight because we didn't want it to be all about fighting but most of our big finishes boils down to the the idea that there's some kind of enemy whether it's a a person or a even a force of nature or whatever but there's some kind of enemy and they have it it, they or it has a goal that it's trying to accomplish and then the players have a goal and you're trying to accomplish your goal before it they accomplish their goal so um you have a progress we have these trackers and you're trying to make you're you're trying to get your 10 points of progress before the enemy gets its 10 points of disaster and that's the the crux of the the big finish and then there's a threat tracker that shows how dangerous things are for you and it's kind of we modeled it after a temperature gauge so when it's in the red, when it's up high, things are very dangerous. Things are not going well. It's very threatening. And when it's down low in the blue, it's kind of cool. Um, things are, you're doing really well in the challenge. Things are not that threatening for you. And it kind of moves up and down throughout the game. And the mechanics are designed so that when it gets down in the blue, it will, it has a comeback mechanism. So it'll bump back up so that you don't ever just get down to the blue and, and cakewalk through the big finish because we want it to be epic, right? So mm-hmm. we don't want it to just be like, okay, I'm beating the boss, I'm beating the boss, I'm beating the boss, I'm beating the boss. Okay, I won. We want it to stay dynamic. So when you get down to the blue, the enemy, its action will always be something that makes it come back that'll shoot the threat back up and have it go back up to the more challenging level. So the threat bar goes up and down and you take your actions and your actions will either, 
as a player, your actions will either, and it lists specifically on the storyteller's like scene key, we call it, it'll say what, what actions earn threat or earn progress and what actions reduce threat. So it'll say, you know, if you do these types of actions, they earn progress. It'll tell you how much progress they earn. And then it says these actions reduce threat and it'll tell you a list of what actions. So the players can say, I want to do anything they want, but there's a mechanical thing on the storyteller side of what those actions will do. And so if they lower the threat, then and then wherever the threat is, then the, the storyteller will look at the threat meter and they'll say, oh, it's in the yellow. So then the enemy will take this action and there's a yellow action linked to that. And or if it's in the blue, they'll take this action and then they mechanically will do whatever it says. And it'll either move the threat meter back up. It'll cause disaster to move up a certain amount, like disaster moves up more when it's in the red, moves up less when it's in the blue. And that sort of times the the big finish. So if it's in the red, disaster is moving up very fast. So you need to manage like your goal of of accomplishing progress and also lowering threat at the same time. And so it's very mechanical and dynamic at the same time. And and it keeps the story moving and, and always leaves what we've seen anyway in all of our playtesting is that it leaves players with a really sense of like a high high at the end of the game. We are very, very frequently at the end of a session, players are like, yeah, all right, whoa, when can we play again? Because because it stops right at that high note. One thing that I really love about kind of what you're doing, Angie, is is that from the get go, from it, you treated it kind of like a board game. We talk about game design. I mean, talk you treat it like a video game, and that like when you're level one, they just tell you, you press this button and you get an attack. You know, press the button and you get an attack, and then this button jump. And I love how you you layer in the complexity. So as the story goes along, you're slowly kind of layering in that that complexity so that you can, you know, so that even, you know, so anybody can really kind of pick up and play the game, uh, which, I, which I love. And I think that that's kind of a, you know, that's a hallmark of, I think, a good design that can kind of follow that that story arc all the way to the climax and have a big climax at the end. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you had kind of had that that mechanism at the end to really keep the the ending really exciting because I, I, we've played so many games where the ending is just like oh are we gonna are we gonna actually pull this off and then you have the big victory when you're just by the skin of your teeth you're able to pull off a victory so I, that's really great that you've got that that element in there. One thing in, that came to my mind was: is there, is there something in terms of scalability, in terms of for for gamers, that makes the game crunchier in particular, or is it really just you can kind of jump at a more complex starting point for gamers? Or how do you kind of structure that that kind of element? Well, so here's an interesting observation that I've found: is when kids sit down to play the game, they immediately look at their adventuring kit. Their adventuring kits as pictures of items, and you can use the. It's just like you know, like the delicious pie I was talking about earlier from the Fancy Pants kit or a glider or a bag of marbles. And they all they want to do, not all, but generally what they want to do is they want to use their kit in cool ways. And the younger the kid, the more they want to like combine cool stuff in their kit. And that's what they're drawn to. They like, they want to take that and they're like, oh, I want to use my fireworks to distract the you know, and that's that's the the first thing that they want to do. That's their first experience, and that's their their draw. That's the first thing um, I want to do, honestly. <laughs> yeah, not just kids, but it, it is, but it is very much more so with kids, right? Yes, that's yes. that's a draw. Adults like it too. Everyone seems to like the kids, <laughs> but it's something that kids are very very drawn to, and that they tend to fixate on throughout gameplay. 
no matter how many times they've played the game, it still seems to be the thing that they are most interested in. What we've found when we play the game with gamers is that they're like, what do my powers do? What does my <laughs> do? How do they work together? How can I min-max this and this and this? What happens when I get a new power? How can I get... what When I get a boost, do I want to use it here or there? And there's some powers that are more complex than others, and there's some... We're gamers. Like, I mean, we're, we're gamer gamers, like... <laughs> I've been playing D and D since I was five, right? So, right, right. So, and we're magic players, and you know, there's a lot of uh, things that we 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 kept it simple in a lot of ways, but we layered in a lot of complexity. Um, I've heard of uh, one of the lead designers of Magic talks about something called lenticular design. He talks about those lenticular cards where if you look at them one way, you see one picture, and if you look at them another, you see something else. And he talks about that with Magic cards, where the complexity can be. You know, when you're a new player, you see one thing, but once you've been playing for a while, you start to see other aspects of it. And in teaching, they call that scaffolding. Julian and I both uh, have master's degrees in education, which is one thing that we drew from heavily as we tried to design this game. Ah, oh, Vygotsky so, and all that. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say. We're all educators over here, too. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. So so this this idea of scaffolding or, or lenticular design is that, that we, we all of the the artifact and power capabilities are there for anyone, but the gamers tend to gravitate to that immediately. And that's where they seem to have the most fun playing around. And that's there from the beginning. And they want to find interesting, cool ways to use their powers and combine them and do fun stuff. It's still very imagination-based, and but it... it it offers just something on a different level, I think. And what's really cool is that it doesn't offer you more of an advantage than the 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 person who's just using their kit. So you can sit at a table with someone who's like, I want to do this cool thing. I want to shoot fireworks, at, you know, and then someone else is like, ooh, I want to use this power and I'm going to do this thing. And and because of the way that we designed the rules to work and the way that the the roles go, it's not that one is more powerful than the other. It's just that they're interesting to different types of players in different ways. So you can you can play alongside someone who's playing on a different level and still have the same type of gaming experience, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And and with the the more the more crunchier stuff, like once you start getting more artifacts and more powers. So if you if you have a group of gamers, what they're going to um, what we've seen with with kids, like when we play with our kids, they just sort of want to pop into Storm Hollow, play an adventure and pop out. And they don't care about accumulating artifacts and powers and leveling up their characters very much. It doesn't it doesn't matter to them. They want to play a different character every time. They want to be a whizbanger this time and a lightbringer next time, and they don't. It doesn't have any. They don't really have much uh, interest in carrying over stuff. But what we've seen with gamers is that they want to be the same character. They want to collect different powers. They want to have their stories continue, and they want to sort of build up that experience. So it also offers that the the just a different axis of interaction with the game and the world. Um, and they're both perfectly valid and accessible paths if that kind of works that's great i, I really i really do love the idea of being able to have, have multiple approaches and each one's perfectly valid and that's really kind of an interesting observation you've made through all because i can only imagine how many playtests of this game you've done at, by this point it's 
probably astronomical. Yeah, it's 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 interesting too because if you sit down, one of my favorite things is to sit down and watch it played with a family, like especially if you can get a family like mom and dad and a couple of kids, especially and and this is pretty stereotypical to say this, but like if the dad's a gamer and the mom's not, <laughs> because what we've had we've watched this play test a bunch of times, so dad's a gamer, mom's not. And I'm saying this as a mom gamer, but I've seen this happen a lot of times. You know, dad's like, come, come play this game with us. And so the mom and the kids are sitting there and they're looking at their kits and they're doing this imagination stuff. And the dad's like, look at this power. Look what this can do. Look at this. And he's, you know, <laughs> focusing on the gamer stuff. Right. And the kids are like, wow, look at these cool kids. Look what this can do. And the, and the mom's like, wow, I'm protective or I'm helpful. And she's doing all the fun stuff that is like, and I'm being very stereotypical here, but I've seen this played out a lot of times where she's just really digging the idea of playing a game with her family and, and getting to sort of play out these characteristics, right? Or I'm being flashy and fun or wild or whatever it is, whatever that characteristic is and kind of kind of um, goes on that, that aspect. But by the end of the session, by the end of a one hour play session, the dad is the one who is grabbing stuff out of the kit and making these really fun imaginative roles and the kids are starting to use their powers and it sort of flips um, cool. in a really interesting way. And at first I just thought, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like, well, that was funny. And then I saw it again and again and again and again. And I was like, okay, this is a really interesting dynamic, like how it happens, you know, to see people kind of interested. In, enter into that it doesn't just happen with families i mean it happens if friends if some of them are gamers and some aren't like adults you know where there's a couple of gamers and a couple of you know people that are more casual gamers that they're like come play this game with us uh you'll see the same sort of dynamic happen where people are more interested in their kits and other people are more interested in their artifacts and powers and then it switches by the end of the game a little bit to where the people that were initially not that not paying any attention to their their powers are now like totally focused on what their hero can do and the people who were initially not even interested in their kids that much are like wow i'm gonna i'm gonna build a whatever you know by tying all these things together for my kit and it it's really it's really cool that's great favorite parts is watching watching people play the game is really fun and i also just Another surprising thing was how replayable the adventures are. I didn't expect that. We sort of thought they'd be one and done. Like you play an adventure and you're over with. That, that was our expectation going into it. That's one of the reasons we made so many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, what we've seen is that a lot of people like playing the same adventure over and over again. Because the story ends up being really different. Even though the anchor points are the same. You've got these three scenes. What happens in the adventure is so much determined by how by who's playing and what they decide to do that we've seen a lot of people that really like playing the same story um, with different people. So that's kind of fun. That's great. That's always nice to hear that there's added replayability within the game as well. Do, do we have any timeline in terms of when we estimate that the game will be uh, ready and distributed to everyone? Um, I'm not the person to ask on that. I know. It was an unfair <laughs> question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a... Uh, I was just trying to give our listeners an idea of how how much time they have to actually pre-order this I've thing. I've heard that maybe the first half of this year. That's the goal, I think. Um, it's getting really close. I mean, all the all the everything, all the cards, all the stuff is all done, proofed, ready to go. Most of the books are all done, proofed, ready to go. There's just uh, the the last two books, which are the the crunchiest of them, are going through the final 
layout and proofing process. We just want to make sure that we don't get anything as much as we can, you know, as much as you can do that. We want to make sure that we don't get anything wrong on them, you know, that we didn't misassemble here or didn't have the wrong number there. Right. And it's just a really time-consuming process. <laughs> the layout is really time-consuming, and, and there's one guy doing that, which is Dan May from GameSloot. He's, he's going through and painstakingly doing these beautiful visual layouts for every single, like every one of the adventures. It's not just words slapped on a page. It's all done in this amazingly beautiful these beautiful layouts and we didn't make it particularly easy for him because the adventures in each one we made them each a special unique special butterfly uh, so they're <laughs> <laughs> so he has to like redo the template almost every time because we wrote some extra special rules for this one or we added in an extra magic burst for that one mm -hmm. um so he's he's going through and finishing those and there we've got a team of volunteer proofreaders who are helping us i'm working on it and they're working on it just getting those last checks through on the as he finishes stuff we're checking it um and i think as soon as that's done then it goes to the printer and then it's and then it's just a matter of how long it takes to print and ship absolutely so, well um i can't really say how long that oh, is i know I don't know how long it's going to take to finish I, I guess we just keep saying it takes however long it takes to get it right yeah. I, I know it's not and I'm, I'm, hear, I'm, good, I'm good with we that. We'd though. rather that it be, at this point, we're like, man, we've taken so long. We really don't want to rush it out the door and have a bunch of, and especially now that we're working on the adventures, like the most important, we feel like it's the part where it's most important to get things just checked, double checked. You know, we took a lot of time proofing the cards and now we want to make sure that those adventures are equally given as much care. So. Yeah. And, and for anyone that has, has not seen what, the, the artwork looks like you definitely owe yourself to go and check it out. It's gorgeous. Fantastic. Yeah. There's 687 pieces of art, individual pieces of art. I think that were created for the game. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> it blows my mind. <laughs> I think that, I think that that was the number. I'm, it's a lot and it's used in some really phenomenal ways. And then the, the layout and design and stuff is amazing. So Yeah. So again, hearing the description and then being able to see it visually, I think that it you'll you'll see that this thing really is a very special product and I'm really looking forward to it uh eventually coming out. Jonathan, you had something? <laughs> yeah, so really the only question left, Angie, is how much plasma do I need to sell to get that hundred and forty five dollars? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't know. <laughs> That is uh, that is not in my area of expertise. That's... I, I think it might kill you, so I don't advise that. <laughs> uh, well, it does sound good. You you have a believer in me. I I've definitely. I've got a copy coming. I know. I've got a copy coming. I know, but I got to get on this on this special treasury box. I can't, you know. I don't know. It sounds really good, Angie. I I'm I took a look at some of the art before, and I I it just looks it looks amazing. Yeah, it looks really good. I'm always really you know that's the thing that number one thing that people say when they see the game is they're like, wow, this looks amazing. So I'm really excited when I get a chance to talk about the mechanics. Because <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like on a podcast, I'm like, yay, I get to talk about how it plays because the thing that people say when they look at it, they're like, oh my gosh, this game is gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I love it. It looks so cool. And I'm like, yeah, it does. But it's also got a lot of other cool things about it too. Absolutely. That's what I really love about games when they when the 
the narrative aspects blend so perfectly with the gameplay elements that they're kind of, they cohesh together and they, it makes sense. And so, yeah, I'm glad that you got to talk about some of the mechanical aspects as well, because I've been trying to tell these guys about what all is going on and you articulated it so much better than I ever could. So, but thank you so much for, for being on our podcast and talking over uh, Storm Hollow. Now, I, I did know you're working on a a card game I saw recently that <laughs> is taking that. place in the same universe, right? Yeah, we we well we made a card game that's taking place in the same universe. It's called Riftwalker. It's a Storm Hollow card game. It's a two to four player strategy card game. It plays in like thirty to forty five minutes. We are going to I, I think we're going to be publishing that soon as well. I mean, obviously, our focus right now is on getting Storm Hollow out the door. But sure, we, yeah. me and Julian, our main p- part of Storm Hollow has been done for a long time now. So once that was done, we started working on this other game. And it uses some of the art assets from Storm Hollow in a, in a cool new way. And it's a, it's a f- we think it's a really fun, interesting take on it. Um, Riftwalker, is one of the char- uh, Riftwalker is one of the characters in Storm Hollow who draws on the power of the land, can manipulate the, the element and the land to the rifts are they're called rifts the different parts of storm hollow are called the rifts um and they can kind of draw on the power of the land and in this game you play rift cards into your your area and there's an element board it's kind of like a three by three board it looks almost like in puzzle games you know where you have different colored gems or whatever yeah but see cards they're double-sided cards and they flip over um, and so you have an element grid out in the middle and you flip the cards to, you manipulate the elements by like flipping these cards over. So it flips back and forth and you, you manipulate the elements in various ways. You play these cards, they have special powers on them. You shift them. They call, we call them rift shifts in the Storm Hollow game, but in this game we call them shifting too. So you rift shift um, and that rotates the cards to various point values. So when you shift them once, there were three points and when they've been shifted twice, there were seven. And then once you have them shifted, um, you can burst them, which is if you can line up three um, elements of the same type in the element grid on your turn, then you can burst an element. And that means put it in your score pile. Uh, So you and then at the end of the game. So once someone has scored a certain number of elements, depending on how many people are played, then the game ends. And you add up your points for how far you've shifted your rifts. And then any bonus points, some of them have bonus points, like plus X amount of points for each whatever type of rift you have scored or whatever, various conditions. And they all have special abilities on them that help you do that. There's uh, different strategies. The fire rifts help you, like you can burn them away for more points. The life ones uh, help you shift things faster and get a lot of them, get them bursted quickly. The why uh Storm ones help you manipulate the element grid in a lot of ways. The water ones help you explore lots of elements that get lots of them out in your play area, give you a big toolbox of things to play with. Because every time you shift a rift, you get to activate its rift shift as well. The earth ones are keyed off of getting lots of big points. So they help you get, get your rift shifted up a lot so you can get big points off of them. And then the wind ones are tricky. They let you do just different things that the game doesn't normally let you do, like play off of other people's stuff. So each one has kind of its own mechanical theme. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a game that we're really having a lot of fun with. We liked the idea of taking the thematics of Storm Hollow and exploring it in some different ways. Very cool. And there's a print-and-play version on Board Game Geek now, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, we just put that up. I just put that up like a 
day or two ago. You're very, I'm very, on it. very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to trying that out. It looks really neat. And again, I'm, I'm just so happy that you and Julian were able to work together and make this dream of yours come, come together. I'm, I, I can only imagine that you're very excited to have um, players have their copies in their hand as well. Uh, yeah, it's the thing that we've been most looking forward to. I mean, we just, we really, I mean, there's a, we've seen how people play it when they're with us, and we've had playtest reports of, from people, you know, that have sent us, like, blind playtesters and stuff. But it's a lot different, I think, to send your game out in the world and see what happens. <laughs> I don't know. There's a little bit of nervousness, but also a lot of excitement just to see what happens when people get the game. Like what people have to say about it, what they think, what parts excite them and stuff. Yeah. Um, I can and also imagine. just what people can create with it. I don't know. We, we tried to really create a big toolbox. So I'm one of the things I'm really excited about is seeing what kind of adventures people create, what kind of stories they tell. I think that that'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, thank you so much for time for taking time with us. Um, the last thing we have to do is the punch list. And she's like, oh no, what did I get myself into? <laughs> so I'm ready. This is the segment where one of us comes up with some category of a board game, and everyone else has to come up with a game that matches the criteria set. No one else knows what the game's going to be, so you have to think on your feet and think of a game. It may not be the best game, but it may be one that you consider to be a favorite. So, a game that you consider to be punch-worthy. So, for this week, Jonathan has the punch list. Yes, I do. Guys, this is going to be a little bit of a twist on this. So, here's what I'm thinking. Jonathan, I completely didn't think you had one. I was just trying you, to mess with you. <laughs> you go to a convention. Mm-hmm. You see either... You know, a giant size board game that maybe takes up a, a huge table, or maybe even there's pieces that are kind of life size or something like that. So here's my here's my uh, punch list for you guys. What game would you like to see a giant size version of? Okay, think about that for a minute. Okay, here's mine. <laughs> okay. Having played this with uh, Sean recently, uh, Sean got uh, catacombs. Oh my god. <laughs> and I just had this image when I was thinking about this of. You know, these huge pillars out in this huge area. I'm thinking, like, life-size stuff. I don't know how you'd move your characters. Maybe they'd have to be on wheels or something to actually get them to move around. But, you know, you can actually get out there and push push your characters, move them around. Uh, you know, maybe sh- you maybe have to shove or, or throw your different weapons. Um, and for those of you not familiar, this is one of those dexterity kind of flicking type games. But I'm trying to trying to picture it, you know, my wizard's running around. I'm pushing him, and he moves, and he, he rolls on his wheels. And then I, you know, launch my fireball out somewhere at the enemies. But I, I just think that would be crazy. You go out but on the board, so and you kick this giant wooden disc. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. I'm, I'm thinking maybe wheels. Maybe you're pushing in wheels, but... <laughs> That's fascinating. I w- this is a. I was not expecting this at all. <laughs> this is left field, guys. Totally. <laughs> Clint, do you have anything? I I do. I was. I recently had the ability, the the chance to play Specter Ops. Ooh. And that was my backup. That was that was a really intense game. Like it was cat and mouse. It was tense. And I could only imagine if they if we had like a life size version, like. We were the hunters. You you are the hunter. 
and uh, you could, you know, you see the guy run across the street and you're like, oh, crap, we got to go catch him. Um, I could only imagine like you'd have you couldn't be the agent if you were uh, if you had heart problems, because I think that you'd have a heart attack. Just people, you know, just people kind of breathing down your neck and you trying to be stealthy. I, I think that it would be pretty amazing. I choose Spectre Ops. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I think for me, I'm going to channel my inner pirate here. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I would love to have merchants and marauders in a big scale where you have more detailed big ships sailing around and all that and little ports. I mean, some of the, these game conventions, sometimes they do have those really elaborate setups. So I think if you had like a really big world map sailing around, had little detailed ports and all that. How big are you picturing this board? I don't know. <laughs> I'm picturing the the ship being the size of my hand, at least. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a pretty good size. Huge board. Okay. Yeah. Pretty massive. Uh-huh. Yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. And then have you have like a life-size treasure chest and you get to jump your, jump your coins in there? Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'd be on board. Angie, what do you think? Okay. So I haven't played this game in probably 20 years, but it popped into my head. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there. It's a it's an abstract strategy game. It's called Abalone, I think. Oh, I don't know I've if you've ever that played game. that. Yeah. It's there's these um, marbles and you push them. And when you push, like you push them in a row, so you push one and it pushes the rest of the row, and you push the other players' marbles off the board into this tray, and they kind of roll around. And for some reason, I just had this vision of like pushing this giant these giant balls in a big like they kind of click over on on other through these spaces and this board it's just like this giant hex board and i just thought it'd be really fun to just push these giant balls around and knock them off the board that would be pretty fun i, I think there's, <laughs> there's something satisfying of having something nice and chunky I, I think i mean we've talked about this how like this the uh poker chips in splendor how they're nice and chunky you like having the the feel of having those poker chips in your hand and all that so jonathan you had something else you were hoping she was gonna say oh fireball fireball island <laughs> <laughs> i want to see i want to see I, running from the fire from the wall i don't play a lot of abstract strategy games and i have no idea why that's what popped into my head but i just couldn't get it out of there anything except for pushing giant rows of balls around. <laughs> nothing wrong with and that at all having that because it was something that was always so satisfying about that game is that you push one and the whole row clicks over and i just i really like the tactile sensation of that game and then i was just imagining on a giant scale and it just sounds fun that would be awesome that would be cool well, again, thank you so much, Angie, for joining us on the punch li- uh, for the punch list and for the podcast. And we wish you a ton of success. Um, do you, besides the card game that you've been working on, do, are, are you planning to keep d- delving into the world of game de- design? Yes, we are actually working on something else right now. So, <laughs> the intrigue, <laughs> the tease, the intrigue, the tease, secret project. Yeah, we, we've got some stuff in the works, and we're definitely going to keep keep doing things. We're hoping to be able to keep doing Storm Hollow stuff in the future, and, and also some other stuff that's not Storm Hollow related. Awesome. Uh, Angie, how can we follow you? Do you guys have, do you have a Twitter or a Facebook? Uh, I have a Twitter account, which is at Growing Up Gamers. 
we have a Facebook page, which is Escapade Games. Okay. And we have a website for Storm Hollow, which is about to get some revision, but it's stormhollow.com. Okay. Uh, right. And then the the Game Salute site for Storm Hollow is gamesalute.com slash stormhollow, I think. Perfect. Um, and then there, on my Twitter page, it, there's a link at the top of that. It's pinned for the pre-order if anyone is interested. Oh, in- we're interested. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for having me. I really oh, appreciate no, it. Oh, no. I letting me go on at length about all the things that I'm excited about about the game, too. I really appreciate the opportunity to just kind of... <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was, I've been talking to the guys probably very early in the podcast, like, I need, I want to have Angie on at some point, because I want her to talk about Storm Hollow. So, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really do appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy schedule to uh, chat with us. So Yeah, no problem. So, I think that brings the conclusion of episode number 22 of the Punched and Played podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Punched you can like us on Facebook, and you can find us on our webpage at punchedandplayed.com. So until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. Yeah.